Well, good morning, everybody, and thank you for the privilege of sharing the Lord's Word with you this morning. I really have an affinity with congregations this size because on the corner of our farm, the farmers build a church, build it themselves, and uh, that congregation was started the year I was born. And there were no less, there were over 30 families with kids came to that church. Uh, no town, just a hall in a church in a farming community. And a high proportion of all the families belong, came to church. So that we used to have what they called Sunday school anniversaries. And all the kids would get up on a platform and in this little church, we had over 60 kids on the anniversary platform. That church is still there today. They built a new one the year Shirley and I were married. But it's just about done. Uh, just a handful, less than 10 people go there now. And sometimes they have a service and sometimes they don't. There were five churches in that uh, area around a town called Yankalula, south of Adelaide. Now, I think two out of the five uh, function regularly and lots less people, way less people, and way, 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 way less children. Mm -hmm. And that sets up a thing in our minds because you folk have experienced some of that change too, uh, where once Christians were the in thing, now they're not. They're the out thing. And uh, the minority thing, the crazies, even the bad thing. And uh, we're tempted to think something like this. We're tempted to think, okay, uh, this is the modern era, the science and, and education, all that sort of stuff. People used to believe in God. You know, Adam and Eve, they went to church, and they took their kids to Sunday school. It's been that way for thousands of years. But now in the modern era, it's all dropped off. And, and it's kind of uh, down like that, and we're, we're down here. What I want to do this morning is to change that thinking because historically it isn't true. The truth of the matter is that under God, the nations have gone, been on a roller coaster. You know what a roller coaster is, kids? You go up and you go down, you go up and you go down uh, in their relationship to God. And when, when they go down, they get into trouble. Now, I won't have time to go through all these Bible readings, but you can have a look at them when you go home. But the first one is about a time in Israel, and I really love this story, because they, they were a bit cool on God and stuff, but God did a wonderful thing for them. He sent three other nations with their armies to wipe them out. It's a wonderful thing to do, because they really got scared. And they all gathered in front of God's temple and the king he prayed a big prayer that recited how god had a special covenant relationship with them and if they ever got into trouble they could come and 
talk to him and call out to him. And Jehoshaphat the king, he prayed uh, all this prayer, recounting this stuff, and he finished up with these words. Wonderful prayer. I recommend it to you. Pray at any time. He said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And then beautifully, uh, the scripture says, and all the men and women of Israel uh, with their children and their little ones stood there before the Lord. They just stood there waiting for God to do something. Next minute, a prophet speaks up and he says, don't worry, King Jehoshaphat, you won't even have to fight this battle. It belongs to the Lord. Go out towards these armies and put your singers in front of the army. And they can go singing God's praise. So expressing the confidence that God, this is God's battle. So they did that. And by the time they got out over the hill, these three armies had kind of fallen into disarray and disunity and started fighting with each other. And they basically wiped each other out. So they, they'd gone out singing, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. You know, so, uh, no, it's a bit old for you. Anyway, um, and they got out there, and the whole thing was over. So they gathered up all the loot and the weapons and, and the wealth of, of these armies, and then they went back into town singing, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, the thing I like about that story, which I'm focusing on in a number of other stories, is that God, uh, there was what some people call a visitation of God a visitation of God and an awakening of the people and a revival of their faith in God. But it wasn't just the pious people, you know, the churchgoers, the keen beans. The whole nation knew that God was the Lord and he was the Saviour. Now, the thing is that throughout biblical history, throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, and throughout church history, that is, since Jesus, God's been doing stuff like that. Visitation, awakening, revival, at critical times. And uh, so there was another occasion. uh, The people had gone away from God. They disobeyed his laws, and he'd sent them into exile. Uh, as slaves in another country in Babylon and they were there 70 years and they had to come back and uh, they, they were pretty slack uh, in their relationship to God and a wonderful thing happened. They began to gather together the whole nation and listen to uh, the word of God uh, in, in their scriptures of the, of the uh, Old Testament, the, the books of Moses. And, and they started to weep and they started to repent and a whole change came over the people 
so that uh, there was a beautiful thing. There was a visitation of God upon them. Something God did, not something they whipped up, not just emotionalism. And uh, they were awakened to the presence and the reality of God, and, and it, it changed, it revived them, brought them alive again. Now, uh, you would have noticed that Aaron has told the children the story of the day of Pentecost, because moving into the New Testament, hello, here's something similar happened. Uh, everything's been going on as it has for a long time. Uh, the keen being religious people, they careful to do what God wants. Everybody else basically does what they want to do. Uh, but suddenly there's this day, and it's a festival of the Jews called Pentecost, and there are people from all over the surrounding geographical areas and countries. And they're listed out in uh, Acts chapter uh, 2, and if you drew a line from all those places that are named, uh, from Parthia, Mede, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, the whole works and jerks were there for that festival. And amazingly, they all heard God speaking to them in their own language. And Peter stood up, empowered by God, a visitation of God upon the apostles, and he told them about Jesus. And uh, he said to them, look, the promise of God is for you. It's not just for Jews. Uh, or the, the holy people, it's for you and for your children and for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call to himself. And uh, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Uh, they, they were really touched by God of his incredible love for them as sinners because they kind of thumbed their nose to God, but he, uh, he'd sent Jesus to die for them and be raised from the dead. And uh, so I said, they said, what, what should we do? And he said three things. Repent of your sins. That is, have a big change of mind about what you're doing in your life. Uh, and be baptised, believe in and be baptised in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of God's spirit dwelling inside of you. And 3,000 people on that one day, uh, did that and became believers. It, it, was, it was a national event. And before a few days, uh, the book of Acts says 5,000 people uh, were believers. Like, it, it changed everything. In fact, at that time when Jesus was uh, on the earth, the Jewish nation was a kind of bondage nation, little nation, in the Roman Empire. And the Romans were top dogs. And uh, so you had to do what the emperor said and stuff like that. Over the next 300 years, there was a lot of persecution of Christians. But about 300 years later, in the 4th century, a emperor came along 
called Constantine, who became a believer, and by that time, the faith had spread so much that Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Things change, eh? Now, going down through church history from there, it's been going on uh, over and over again. There's a time called the Reformation, uh, when suddenly the gospel got quite out of hand and people came to understand it as quite distinct from the old religion. And, and then after that, <clears throat> there were three times that have affected us here in Australia and throughout the whole Western world particularly, but also the, all the other nations too. One is called the First Great Awakening. The second one is called the Second Great Awakening. And the third one is called... Okay, you got it. First Great Awakening, have you heard guys like uh, John Wesley and George Whitfield? Uh, they, they were preachers of the gospel back in the 1700s. And amazing things happened. They would preach without a microphone or speakers to 20 or 30,000 people. You think, well, why did they show up? Well. They would preach to miners as they came out of the mines, all black-faced with coal and stuff, and God would touch those people with the love of God and the coal dust on their faces would be washed down by the tears and they'd have white streaks down their, down their faces. And many, many, many people turned to God. So that when Australia was uh, settled by Europeans, a lot of the people came with living Christian faith. Uh, the history of South Australia is a history of evangelical Christians founding that colony. And uh, then there was the Second Great Awakening, which came in the, uh, the middle of the 1800s, about 1830 to 1860, and, and a whole lot more happened in different ways, which I haven't got time to tell you all about. Um, but the effect of that was that a district that uh, Shirley and I ministered in, a farming district called Ardrossan on York Peninsula, that's the middle peninsula in South Australia, uh, it has a total population of 2,000 people and there were six Methodist churches in that area. Six, plus the Catholics and the Anglicans. Six Methodist churches. Uh, because the people who settled that area as farmers, they had been affected by the First and Second Great Awakenings. And uh, there were local effects of that a little further north and west on York Peninsula, a place called Munta, uh, they had a revival there among the coal miners, uh, not coal miners, the copper miners, mainly Cornish people. And if you go today to Munta, they're standing still, but not all open as churches, are seven Methodist churches in the town of Munta. The biggest one held up, holds 800. 
next biggest one holds 500. The next biggest one holds 300. Seven of them all together. You think, what are they building all those churches for? <clears throat> to fit all the people in who are coming to church. You see? We have this idea that Australia is not a religious nation like America or like South Africa or some other nations uh, that have a stronger religious history. Not true. Not true. I come now to the last of these awakenings that uh, I personally have participated in, and that was the uh, Billy Graham Crusades uh, of 58, 59 time. And I was 12 in 1959, and I was starting school at a college in Adelaide, so I travelled up on the Saturday to stay with the people that I was going to be boarding with, private boarding, and I went along to the local uh, Methodist church on the Sunday morning. I said, oh, we're going to hear Billy Graham tonight. Uh, do you want to come? Oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so along I went. Uh, to uh, the Wavell Showgrounds, packed with people, and God spoke to my heart through Billy Graham. And he spoke to a lot of other people's hearts. Do you know that in 1959, over a period of about five months with, with those uh, ministries with Billy Graham throughout Australia, 2.3 million Australians, a lot less Australians back then, uh, went along to hear Billy Graham, 2.3 million. And over 110,000 responded in the meetings to, uh, Billy said it was the most productive and effective uh, such ministry and mission he, he had ever experienced to that day. And that lay a foundation in my life. I've got a book here called the Great Southland Revival, and one of the authors, he was four in 59, and he said to his dad at the rally, he said, Dad, I want to go forward and give my life to Jesus. So dad carried him down the front, four years old, and he gave his life to Jesus. And he's grown up, um, Warwick Marsh, his name is, uh, he works with an organisation called the, Cla the Ca Canberra Declaration. But he's ministered in so many countries all around the world and uh, he and his wife have evangelised. And you, you see, it all came out of that visitation of God. So what I'm kind of heading towards is to work on your understanding of your time uh, here at this moment. Are we, let me ask you, do you reckon, are we on an up or on a down uh, in terms of people believing in Jesus in Australia? What do you reckon? Australia-wide. Australia-wide. Well, I, I, I think that we're, it's starting to do this, but I think we're at the bottom because... I've travelled all over Australia and I've seen closed churches or little groups of people in their 70s, 80s and 90s who are hanging on and trying to keep the show going. 
okay? And all the young people, oh, they're playing football and they're uh, doing all the stuff that people like to do. Not a care about God. Uh, but I'm here to say, I think we're at a critical moment. One day, in the 1940s, uh, a busload of young people showed up at a particular church in London, in England. And they were on a historic Christian tour, and they showed up at this place because this church had been built under the leadership of John Wesley back in the 1700s. Okay, and it was a big show, had balconies and held a massive number of people, only a small congregation today. And alongside was his little three-storey house. It was three storeys, but it's quite small. And John Wesley lived in that uh, when he wasn't riding his horse around England. And up in, in one of the rooms in the third floor was a prayer desk And in front of that prayer desk were two grooves in the floor where Wesley wore the floor down with his knees. And the young people, they checked out the church and they checked out the house, Wesley's house, and they all climbed back on the bus and somebody was missing. And, uh, oh, who is it? So they they realised who it was and they went looking for this missing young person. They found him upstairs in Wesley's house with his knees in Wesley's grooves at his prayer desk praying, Lord, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. That man was a young fellow called Billy Graham. And friends, God did it again. When you talk about awakening or revival or visitation of God, it's a bit tricky because some stuff that comes under that name uh, can be a bit over the top. And it can be not the real deal. It can be a counterfeit. It can be a human whip-up job. Do you know what I mean? And so these guys who wrote this book for Australia to try and encapsulate the moment for us, they wrestled with that. And in the very last chapter, there are three little paragraphs beginning with the words, true revival. I want to read them to you. True revival is an experience of the manifest presence of God, giving us spiritual eyes to behold the glory of God. It awakens us to the truth that God is at the centre of reality, not us. 
and that we were created for his glory, not for our comforts and pleasures. Second paragraph. True revival makes our hearts soft and responsive to God's word, increasing our love for the scriptures and our desire to know them and our willingness to obey them. True revival increases our sensitivity to sin, giving us a hunger for holiness and turning us from our perversions and our lusts to chase after the righteousness of God. Third paragraph, true revival opens our eyes to the spiritual battle raging around us, setting us free from the bondage of Satan, the lusts of our flesh, and the seductions of the world. True revival makes us powerful and effective in our testimony to Jesus giving us a new love for our neighbours and even our enemies and a longing for them to know the life-giving truths of the gospel. In true revival, Jesus and all that he has accomplished for the salvation of the world is at the centre. Let me ask you, is that true revival? Is that the real deal? I think so. I think they've discerned it quite successfully. The last scripture that I have on the sheet is from 2 Chronicles. God says, When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if, if my people will turn, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now that's a tricky passage because it could sound contractual. Okay guys, if you shape up and do this, then I'll do that. That's, that's contractual, isn't it? But uh, it's not. It's not contractual at all. It's God is saying, he's saying, look, I just am standing waiting to open the heavens and to pour out my spirit on all flesh, uh, as the prophet Joel put it. But there is an if. Because, you see, we we have two sayings here in Australia that I'm sure you recognise. One is, we have other fish to fry. You know what that means? We have other fish to fry. Uh, one bloke said to Jesus, Lord, I'll follow you for sure, but first let me go and do some family stuff. Uh, so, yeah, we, I'm a Christian, but I've got some other fish to fry too. The other saying is, um, I've got a lot of irons in the fire. I suppose that, that was, that's branding talk, where you put the branding irons in the fire to make them red hot. Uh, 
And uh, the saying, I got a lot of irons in the fire. I got a lot of projects going, you know. Uh, so God's if, if my people, it is a, it is a big if. It is a serious if. Uh, and in some sense, we're, we're locked into so much of our stuff, you know. And we can't say, okay, yep, uh, get rid of the other fish, pull out the other firearms. It's, it's, yeah, it's, you can't actually do that uh, without letting people down or getting into financial trouble. You're locked in there. What can you do? Well, you can pray Billy's prayer. Lord, do it again. By your grace, do it again. And I, I want to give you four do-its. That's four, isn't it? One, two, three, four, yeah. Uh, Lord, do it again. Like you did in the day of Jehoshaphat, like you did after the uh, return from exile, like you did on the day of Pentecost, like you did uh, in the Reformation, like you did in the first awakening, the third, second great awakening, the third great awakening, like you did uh, in the Billy Graham days. Lord, do it again. That's my heart. The second do it is, Lord, do it here. Do it here. Not just in Brisbane or Sydney or Toowoomba. Do it here. Because we, we see the big awakenings and revivals, but the fact is there's local ones. When I was in theological college, all the talk was about a country town called Woodner. Have you heard of Woodner? Woodner's in the middle of Air Peninsula. And it's, it's a Durham bandy, I'll tell you. Uh, right out there, big farms, uh, big machinery, and everybody's busy. And they had a thing in the early 1970s where the whole town was packed into the hall, hearing a bloke preach about Jesus. And many, many lives were changed. So that when I went to Port Lincoln as a minister in 1975, Woodner, little town out in the middle of nowhere, it was a big show. It was a big show because there were a lot of Christians following that local thing. Lord, do it here. Third, do it. Lord, do it now. No, I'm a bit busy. Could you, could you bring it on in a year's time or something? Don't, Lord. Do it now. Well, Lord, we need it now. That the country's going to hell in a in a handbasket. Do it now. And the fourth. What were the first three? Lord, do it again. Lord, do it here. Lord, do it. And the fourth one, that's the trick. Lord, do it in me. Do it in me. There was a evangelist guy, he was a bit of a roarer, called Gypsy Smith. And, and he has this saying that's quoted. He said, you want to have a revival? 
do this. Go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of your floor and draw a chalk mark around yourself and ask God to start the revival inside that chalk mark. When he has answered your prayer, the revival will be on. Now, you don't actually have to find some chalk, but I think you get the point. Okay. Lord, do it again. Do it here. Do it now. Do it in me. So here I am, 76 years old. I look back to the great times when all us kids were on the Sunday school anniversary platform, 60 of us, and, and that district that I grew up was crawling with Christians, there are churches on every hill and stuff, and it's kind of slowly been downhill ever since. Do I just say, well, that's the times, things change, you know, I'll go to the grave. Uh, but there are a few of us here, God, battling on. No. Change your thinking. Rub that out. And see that God has done it again and again and again and again throughout the history of the world. And that's where all that great tradition of Christian faith, hope and love has come from. And unless it is renewed in our time, uh, it would peter out. But he's never let that happen. He stands waiting. If my people, if my people, could we just pray? Lord, we, we really aren't all that great Christians. Uh, we wax and we wane. We get distracted, Lord. We end up wanting to know everything that everybody else has got. Lord, we get tricked by the devil. We get tied up in our sins and our failures. And we end up thinking that we're just not much good to God in terms of getting something really good going. But Father, we thank you for that blessed helplessness that comes to you and says, God, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. That helpless emptiness that says, God, do it again. Do it here. Do it now. Do it in me. So that's our prayer today, Lord. Help us to hold it before your throne of grace and to hunger and thirst after your righteousness, knowing that those who do so will be satisfied. And more than so, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, folks, there's a few freebies here. Uh, I've got two copies of that book that I can uh, leave with you. So I'm going to leave.